everybody. So as you can see, topic today is what time is it? Hey, I was looking for that. Time to get a watch. Did everybody hear that? Uh, I did not get that first service, so thank you. Yes, time to get a watch. I use my phone. I should probably have a watch. Uh, so it's 11.19 right now. Okay. So my wife, Steph and I, and our two kids, Izzy and Malachi, uh, we just moved from Michigan a little over a month ago. Uh, we worked at a Christian camp uh, called Miracle Camp uh, near Kalamazoo. Um, camp was awesome, but one of the biggest adjustments we had was uh, going to Eastern Standard Time. Um, we have moved around a little bit, Wichita, Newton, the area, we've moved around, but we've always been in Central Time. Uh, so moving there uh, and going to Eastern Time was an adjustment. Um, at camp, uh, I was the guest services director. So anytime we didn't have something going at camp, it was my job to get other churches or other colleges to come fill up the camp. So I spent a lot of time on emails and phone calls, just connecting with people, connecting people to the mission of camp. It was super fun. Um, living in Eastern Standard uh, was good for one reason, because um, all the sporting events would start after our kids went to bed. The problem was that we could never stay up late enough to see the end. So... Uh, the, another great thing is, so Kalamazoo was on the western edge of the time zone, all the way on the western edge, and so it stayed light, incredibly late uh, during the summers, like 10.30, 11 o'clock, it might be light enough to be hanging out on the beach, that was fun. Um, there, you know, time zones mean that at the same time, it's different times around the world, like for you guys, uh, you guys would have to go like two time zones earlier to show up on time for first service. You, you'd be already be late for first service if it was two time zones earlier. Um, but it's not just the time, it's on the clock. It can also be breakfast time, dinner time, supper time. Those are some of our favorite times for sure. Uh, one of my all-time favorites is the kids' bedtime. Not the process of getting them to bedtime. That process is not always fun, but once they're in bed, finally for the last time, not coming out anymore. That is amazing. Uh, but I want to tell you about another favorite time of mine, and that is second breakfast. Who knows about second breakfast? Anybody know? Okay, I love it. That's great. So at camp, one of the coolest things was that you could wake up, I'd have breakfast with my family, or if I woke up early, I had breakfast on my own, and then go to camp, go to work, get started with the day, and then they let the campers do their devos and then come to breakfast about 9 o'clock. So by 9 a.m., I could go have a full, hot, spread second breakfast, and it was the best thing. Um, I have not figured out how to get that here, but that's okay. Uh, so it can be time for work, time for play, it can be worship time, it can be the sermon time. You guys got the, get the idea. It's time for everything, and that's uh, what our topic is today. The scripture is Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 1 through 15, and I'm going to read it for us. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart. 
yet, not so, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. I really honestly love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible. There's so much wisdom packed into it. Uh, but if you've been through hard times, uh, and I know a lot of you have, uh, sometimes all you want more than anything is someone who gets it, someone who gets you, who understands what hard times are like. And that's why I always feel like I can come back to this book. The writer um, of Ecclesiastes is a preacher, but he's also a great builder in his day. And through all his effort, even he wondered at times uh, if what he had worked for was worth it. Many of you can relate to this. At times, I'm sure, maybe you've discipled someone and they've fallen away. Uh, maybe you've worked hard on a business and it didn't quite grow like you wanted it to. Um, maybe you have a hard-headed kid uh, like me and you're wondering if your parents, parenting is making any difference. Uh, I think my parents are here. You can ask them after if that made any difference. Um, so uh, in this passage, we can see that there's a time for everything and that's okay. This is a list of some big, uh, heavy things. Um, though some of these things are listed are very heavy, I want to make sure that we don't go down a dark path. Um, there's a time for everything, and that's okay, but this is not a stoic or tough acceptance of the bad things of life. This is not a poem about God randomly hurling tragedy or blessing at people, uh, not just doing that at random. This is really a heartfelt poem about reality. If we take the broad reality of what we see in Scripture into account when we read this, I think there can actually be a, a sense of comfort that when bad things happen, it just means that you're living a normal life. If it's okay, uh, it, it's okay that some of these bad things have happened to you. The bad things on the list do not confirm God's displeasure in you, um, just like the good things don't confirm his favor. And that is true because bad things aren't always your fault. It's important to say this because some of you have been hurt by others and it has nothing to do with you. There is brokenness in the world that affects us all. One of the great lies that the enemy Satan would try to tell us is that every bad thing in our lives or even some of the bad things around us are our fault or they have to do because of something we did. We do have to own our choices, the bad choices we've made, the good choices. We have to own our mistakes. But not every bad thing is my fault and it really feels good to know that God knows that. Likewise, good things in our lives don't prove that we are doing everything right. So I thought about, in this, I thought about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Uh, Michael Jordan, I'm a 90s kid, so Michael Jordan is obviously the best basketball player. Um, but he is not maybe the best person. Uh, I had friends in, at camp, and they were from the Cleveland, Akron, Ohio area, and they loved LeBron James. And uh, they would always tell me about all the great things that he had done for the community, schools he had built, uh, community outreaches he had, just ways he had lifted that community up. Uh, if you know much about Michael Jordan's life outside of basketball, uh, maybe not the best. Um, you know, he was notoriously uh, psychologically vicious with his uh, opponents. He was even brutal on his own teammates. He cared about nothing but winning. He's really an example of choosing just one season of your life, just winning. Um, 
And for him, it was always that. It's not really fair for me to judge him. I don't know him. Um, but just to kind of use his life as an example, uh, for that, that because ignoring everything but one thing uh, can make you very successful, but it doesn't prove uh, that you're doing life like you should. So we're just going to walk through these statements, the ones that we read uh, in this scripture, and we're not doing that to gain any special knowledge or any great insight, but just to kind of spend, spend the time considering the life that God, that God has given us. So for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The Hebrew words for season and time throughout all of this, uh, they refer to specific appointed times. These are times that happen, not broad generalities, but this is a time, there's a time for this and a time for that, and these are specific times. So verse 2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. The same God that knits you together in your mother's womb and brings tears of joy to everyone's eyes when a baby is born is also there when we die. There's a temptation when we read these really simple, uh, really, you know, kind of clear statements about really big, extreme things to maybe have a cold attitude towards them. Um, when you hear there's a time to die, that shouldn't lead us to just shrug it off and just say, well, there's a time to die. Um, but rather, if there is a time to die, then there's a time for you to comfort someone who's lost someone in their life. This is a, a statement of fact and our inability to change that fact does not remove our responsibility for, for reacting to it. So he talks about the beginning of end, in, end of life, and he does that to help us think about everything that's in the middle. When a person dies, we often think back to memories we have of them or things we know that happened in their life. And when a baby's born, we often think forwards, things they might do or uh, uh, throughout their life. And so these bookends draw us to really think about uh, what happens in the middle, the story that happens in the middle. So the second part of verse 1 is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So we live in Newton, Kansas. There are fields everywhere. You guys see the fields go through the cycles as you're driving around every, every year. If you guys have a garden, you know there's times to plant certain things, certain times for certain things, and hopefully there's a time to harvest. Um, for some of us here, uh, I just have mowing season and shoveling snow season. That's all I have. And uh, I'll have a lot less snow now uh, than I did in Michigan. That's great. Verse 3 says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Uh, this statement is not referring to murder. There's a different word for that in the Hebrew, um, and that's not the word that's used here. It could refer to capital punishment. That was one suggestion. But outside of thinking about people, I thought about animals. Okay? There's a times that to let animals live, to take care of them, to care for them, and there's a time when they cross the line. Like a bear inside of our house is a much different thing than a bear in the woods. A snake inside of our house is a much different thing than a snake taking care of the mice outside. Um, I have a fun story. So one time I was young enough to really get excited and worked up about things, uh, but old enough to have a rifle. And so I saw a coyote sitting out behind the chicken house on the farm where I grew up at, and I ran to go get my rifle, and I ran back, and he was gone. And then I ran to go find my dad, and I was worked up. I said, Dad, there's a coyote. It's going to get our chickens. Like, we've got to go after this thing. This is a big deal. And he, and he kind of jokingly, he said, don't worry, son. I've trained all those coyotes. They don't bother our animals. We just leave those alone, okay? We have sheep. We have goats. We have chickens. We just leave those coyotes alone. If they don't bother us, we don't bother them. So he, he got me down off that ledge. But there is a time to kill and a time to heal. All right. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. Uh, I thought about old barns with this one. You know, sometimes an older building might be worth fixing up, but sometimes it's past that point. It needs to be torn down. 
for safety, or maybe we can reuse it, reuse parts of it. How many of your homes are full of barn wood decorations? I feel like a lot of good barns have given their lives so that Joanna Gaines can be happy. Uh, definitely. All right, verse 4 says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. So I was part of two funerals this week, and there were times at both of them where we laughed and where we cried. We did both at each funeral. There were times for silly memories and times for grieving over losing a loved one. In hard situations, sometimes a joke might be the perfect thing to bring some levity, bring some joy. Um, But other times, the only thing that you should do is to just sit with a person, cry with them, sit quiet with them. Um, if you're always, if you're always stuck in making jokes, you're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, um, and you'll lose out on moments to show love to people. If you're always stuck in the season of mourning, if you're always sad about the state of the world around you, then you'll miss out on people seeing Jesus inside of you and that he's worth having inside of you. The next part of that verse is there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. So this one made me think of Facebook, how we are really good it's in social media about complaining about things. We can, we can type out long dissertations on this issue or that issue, um, but often our celebrations are very short. What's the shortest Facebook post you ever see? Happy birthday, right? People we love that care about us that we know, the posts are really short, just happy birthday. But some person who's made us mad or some issue that we feel it really strongly about will just type word after word after word. Um, I fight this in my own life. Often I'm good at, you know, asking for prayer multiple times for something that's going on that's big to me. But when the answer to prayer comes, I might mention that once. So I was going to take some time right now uh, to mention some things that, that God has done. Some of you might know that my wife has epilepsy, but she has been uh, seizure-free for the past three and a half years. Yeah, that is big. That's awesome. Uh, Part of that was God taking us to Michigan. Uh, while we were up there, we found this really great doctor, this really great program. And honestly, moving back, we were a little nervous of, you know, are we going to get a good doctor again? Like, how's this going to go? But she got to m- meet him last week, and we think maybe he's even better than the one we had up there, which is really cool. Another story from our family, uh, our daughter Isabella was born with a cleft palate. Uh, we didn't know about it right when she was born. They found it a couple weeks later. But the guy who did her repair, it went really good. The guy who did it, turns out he was, uh, would go on these missions trips as a doctor and do cleft palate repairs all over the world. Just super cool. And uh, her repair is so good, I think she's probably the best singer in our family, <laughs> which doesn't take much in our family, but she's by far the best. So, all right, verse five. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Now, this phrase doesn't have a really agreed upon meaning. Um, one option is that uh, there was kind of a scorched earth uh, tactic that they would use in the ancient day. So like if a, an enemy was attacking or you know, taking over their land, they might throw stones everywhere to make that field unusable. Um, but also refer to the archaeological layers that we see in ancient cities. So they would just you know, build their city on top of the city. They would just keep building on top with new buildings. They might reuse some of the stuff from the old buildings to build uh, new parts. Um, but uh, the reference to stones is so specific that it also made me think of times in the Old Testament where after an important time in Israel's history, they would set up uh, a pile of stones to remember that epic event. Um, An Ebenezer is what it's called, if you remember that word. Um, And it refers refers then to memories, remembering things that God has done. 
There's a time to remember things, to keep us from repeating the same mistake or to remember a move of God. But there are also times that if we hold too tightly to past things, that we miss what God is trying to do right now. Um, So the gathering of stones would then be memorializing things, and casting them away would be letting traditions go, not holding on so tightly uh, to how we remember things being done. The second part of that verse is that there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And this one is commonly thought to refer as embracing in the biblical sense. Um, but there are a lot of uses for the word outside of that in, in the Bible. They, it uses the same word in many different ways. So I would kind of want to reword it like this, uh, that there's a time to unify and a time to set up boundaries. So there's, there's a time we should show love to people even when we disagree with them. There's a time to cross the picket line and show love even if, even if we have big disagreements. But there's also a time to set up boundaries. Any of you with difficult uh, family relationships or extended family relationships, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If we get lost in setting up boundaries, then we'll keep everyone away and from seeing the Jesus inside of us. But if we always create unity, never take a stand, then we lose the truth that God knows the best way for us to live. In verse 6, it says there's a time, seek, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. And these two are really so similar. We'll just go through them together. Um, do we have any savers in the house? Any people who save too much? That's probably me. Um, there's a time to find things, to gather things, but there is also a time to give things away, to get rid of things. So I've been that person who saved fire sauce packets from Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> But I've also been that person that had them burst in the glove box of the vehicle, and that is not good. So there's a season for everything, a season for keeping sauce packets, and that season ends at the next stop on the road trip. Okay, you've been warned. Verse 7 says there's a time to tear and a time to sow. And this refers to the common domestic tasks of, that, of the writer's day. There's a time to make clothes and a time when they're used up to turn them into rags and use them around the house. And sometimes, especially as guys, we need a good friend to let us know maybe when that, when that time has come. Uh, this, but this time, of, this ripping and sewing can also carry the imagery of grieving. In ancient times, they would often rip their clothes at a time of mourning or grieving so that people knew something was wrong in their lives. Um, and then maybe that there, there's a time to sew those garments again, and that can mean that the time of grieving is over. The second part of verse 7 is that there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And this one hits me really hard. Uh, There have been so many times in my life that I've been way too silent and didn't own God's call to speak up. I've also had plenty of times where I've been too talkative. Um, Sometimes God wants us to say the hard thing that he has put in our hearts to say. Sometimes he just wants us to sit in that awkward silence, knowing exactly what we should say, what needs to be said, but knowing that it's someone else needs to say it. It's someone else's turn to speak up. So there's no rule to tell you when is the right one to do. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I struggled mostly with not speaking up when I was younger. I was afraid always to say the wrong thing. I learned that I had to practice speaking up. I did make mistakes at times, but the more I worked at it, the better I got at knowing what was the voice of the Holy Spirit and what wasn't. I still make mistakes in this now, but this is an ongoing lesson for me in trusting God, trusting that he uh, makes up for my weaknesses, 
that he forgives me when I get it wrong, and that the people around me who love Jesus are there for me when I blow it. Verse 8 is there is a time to love and a time to hate. And I really think that this one does not refer directly to the people around us. Okay? I think that the primary thrust of this is closer to what uh, Paul talks about in the Philippians. And I'm going to read Philippians 4, 8 through 9. And that says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think the people around us should see us loving things like repentance, loving things like honesty, loving things uh, like God restoring people out of addiction or healing marriages. Those are the kind of things that people should see us loving. Um, uh, we should hate things like pride, divisiveness, selfishness. Our friends and our kids shouldn't just see us hating inconveniences like a little extra work or another person slowing us down. There's also a time for war and a time for peace. There is a place for large-scale conflicts. Sometimes we can wonder about war, if what, what good does it really do? Um, there is a place for conflict. There is a place also for peace. But the real lesson is that getting lost in either one, uh, always choosing one or the other, uh, would be wrong. Every conflict is not worth engaging in. Um, but having no line in the sand just means you end up being walked over. We're going to go back to verse 2 to kind of sum up this whole section. And we have a picture of a wheat field. This is a beautiful wheat field. It's in the perfect stage of ripeness to be harvested. Um, but if you tried to preserve it just like that throughout the whole year, it would not take very long and it would look terrible. Birds would feast on it. Uh, the winter, the ice and the snow would beat it down. Um, we all know that there's a time for harvest and there's a time to let the field sit. There's a time to plant. There's a time to fertilize it. There's all of those times. And to take each thing in his season is very important. The, season that God has, uh, the seasons that God has for each of us in life, the seasons that God has for each of us in the church, we can't ignore them. It would be like trying to preserve that wheat field. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. He is our guide through the seasons of life. The Holy Spirit, uh, whether we like it or not, will also use other people to speak to us. Uh, the catch is that we have to have people close enough in our lives to see what's going on in our lives. So this is where uh, I get to shamelessly plug uh, our small group ministry here called Community Life Groups. Um, and this is the whole purpose of these groups, that we'll live close enough to other people that they can see when we might be missing the season that God has us in. Uh, small groups are there so that people will share in the season of life that you're in. They'll mourn with you. They'll rejoice with you. You might gain wisdom seeing someone go through something you have no experience with, or you might have a great joy in seeing God answer a prayer for something big in their life. One thing for sure is that there is no time or season mentioned for you to be isolated or alone. Another thing for sure is that balance is not what life is about. Now, I'm not saying we can't use balance at times to talk about how we organize our life, but even when we think about our work-life balance, what we're talking about is there is a season for work and a season for being with our family. There's a time in the day to be at work and there's a time in the day to be home. All the times and seasons that we've talked about mutually exclude one another. You don't plant and then pull things right back up. Um, you don't build something just to tear it down. Life is not about balance. It's about recognizing the season God has you in and knowing when that season is changing. 
It's not possible to know what season you're in without being connected to God in a personal relationship. And that brings us to our next point. There is a time for everything, and everything leads us to God. So we're going to go now through the second half, through verses 9 through 15. In verse 11, it says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. So when we choose one specific way to live life, we lose the beauty of walking with God. If we're just determined that this is how I'm going to save money, that's my one thing, or I'm going to, you know, be, start a great business, that's my one thing that I do. If we, we just say, this is my one thing, we're going to miss out on the beauty of walking with God. If we're so committed to living that certain way or seeming a certain way to the people around us, we will probably often be out of step with what God is trying to do in our lives. When we were walking uh, through all the statements earlier in the passage, it may have seemed to you that it's impossible to know which season to be in, and that's honestly correct. There's no way to know what God is doing and what we're supposed to be doing if we don't have a personal relationship with him. That's the key. That's why all of this takes us back to him. If we aren't hearing back from God, then there's no way to know what season we should be in. There are times when life is so big and hard that it's hard to even see what we're supposed to do or see what season we're in, even if we're trying. And that's when we really need people around us, to come around us, people that we've seen God speak through, people who have spoken things into our lives that we can trust, um, to have people around us um, when we can't hear God and to kind of help us just get in the right, you know, started in the right direction. I'm guessing that we can all think about friendships uh, that we've left behind. I know I can. Looking back, I can see that many of these friendships uh, that I've lost have been good for me to lose. At times I relied too much on those people or some of those people have gone astray and maybe I would have gone with them. But man, at the time I wasn't really keeping up with that friendship. It was starting to slide and I didn't really know is this one I'm keeping or one I'm letting go. I felt I would always feel a ton of guilt. I was losing someone slowly. But if I tried to keep up with everything, I think all I would do is just text people all day to stay all day on social media if I was trying to keep up with people. We know that's not what God wants. Being able to trust God through those seasons, through people coming in and out of your life, being able to trust God through the seasons of life is what brings the beauty to even hard things. Verse 11 also says that God put eternity into our hearts. The bigness of life reminds us of our smallness, but it shouldn't make us despair. So we have small kids, uh, Izzy's three, Malachi's five, and they love big numbers. How many of you guys can remember seeing like the joy in a kid's eyes when they learn about the number 100? Like they're just so excited about 100. Or they count to 100 for the first time. Then maybe they get excited about 1,000. That's the biggest number. Or 1 million. Right now, if my son wants to tell me that something's big, he tells me it's 14. This is 14. And that just means it's giant, uh, which is great. Super fun. But kids love big, big numbers. Um, so, so when we talk about infinity, uh, their, their minds just get blown. They love that, and, and that's really what like, eternity is like to us. It's the thing that's bigger than us. It's the thing that gives us awe, that, that uh, you know, can create worship, and, and you know, just, it just takes us outside of ourselves. Um, we're so bound by time. We think about time probably every minute of the day. Um, but to think that God is putting eternity into our hearts, something without end and without beginning, when we talk about the th big things like life and death, war and peace, um, we know that they are so much bigger than us. We see that God's control of the world is so much bigger than us. In the face of that, we can't help but feel small. But God doesn't want us to feel despair in our smallness. Yeah, sure, we're small, 
but he wants us to be comforted by his bigness. He is the one who understands eternity because he's the only one that's truly eternal. He was there from the beginning. And he wants to love us and walk through life together with us. Verse 11 also says that there is a limit to the eternity that God puts in our hearts. It says he put eternity in us, but not so much that we would know what God is doing from the beginning to end. And that means that the mystery of life keeps us humble. God loves us way too much to let us understand everything. We can grasp times and seasons, and sometimes we can even see how those fit into his bigger plan. But we don't always know each and everything, how it fits into his plan. How does tragedy fit in, or how does suffering fit in? We don't always know. We can learn things from those things in our life, but sometimes suffering and tragedies are so big, it's hard to think that the only reason that happened was for us to learn a little lesson. But I think part of it is just to keep us humble. God doesn't give us the whole picture because he wants us to stay close to him. He knows that more than anything, that being in a relationship with him is the absolute best thing for us. We are the happiest and his love shows brightest when we can go through life seasons with him. There is a joy we see in the concluding verses of this passage. In verse 12 to 13, it says that God gives us joy in our daily work, in the daily seasons of our life. In daily walking with him, there is joy. We can't always know the next big thing to do, but we can take joy in doing the next right thing, the next little thing in front of us, trusting the eternal outcome to God. So after all of this, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for all of us? It means to walk, uh, to walk with God through the seasons of life means that there are absolutely no shortcuts. I think this is one of the most important things to grab uh, and maybe take comfort in if you're going through a hard thing that's dragging on longer than you want. There are no shortcuts, and God makes sure of that. We can't just follow a simple set of rules or a simple set of social norms. We won't be walking with God. We're just following rules, following norms. We'll end up in either legalism or some kind of man-made religion. To know what God is doing or to know what we are supposed to be doing takes talking to God, takes listening to God, takes praying on your own, it takes praying with others, takes really searching and seeking that out. Sometimes we can hear from God quickly, like if there's a simple issue of right or wrong, or if you have a job opportunity, one will you know, take almost all your time away from your family, and one will give you a good amount of family, but maybe isn't as good. Like There are easier decisions, but often hard things are what we're stuck in. We have to be looking for what is going on around us, for the hard things that other people are going through too. We can't ignore them and just keep live, uh, living our life. We have to walk with people through hard things. Another person's messy life, or even being honest with another person about my messy life, isn't what we are on earth to avoid. We aren't just here to avoid our own comfort or avoid anything uncomfortable. We're supposed to be a part of what God is doing in his people and in the world. We have to celebrate the big things and gain the wisdom over time to know what is the right action in the right time, to know what season we're in or what season's coming. If we do try shortcuts, if we try just to live uh, from the perspective of life that keeps us most happy and comfortable, we're in danger of missing out of the beauty of God's seasons in our lives. So what's the danger of not embracing God's seasons? When we don't embrace the seasons God, for, God has for us, we will miss out uh, often completely on what he's trying to do in our lives. We'll miss the way that he's trying to grow and strengthen us. 
we'll also miss out on being part of other people's lives in their seasons. When we get convinced that we need to just take care of our own lives to manage our own kids' schedules, to manage our own schedules, to make sure that nobody sees our mess, or if we even take the effort to insulate ourselves so that we never come into contact with other people's uh, messy lives, we will miss out on the beauty of knowing that we desperately need to hear from God. We'll miss out on knowing that we need him every minute. We miss relying on him today and knowing that he is with us every day. And that, that's really true. If we, if we don't need him every day, we miss out on the beauty of knowing that he's there every day. We miss out on him being with us. And that's the, that's the really good stuff of life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the times and seasons you walk us through in life. Thank you that other people are in other seasons and we're in the seasons we're in and that we can share those together with one another. God, I just pray that you would just create a unity in us to walk through life together as a, as a group of believers, that we would just trust you, that we'd know you're with us and that we would celebrate that uh, big and well together. God, thank you so much for just being you and for loving us so much and for taking care of, of the world we live in. in. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Will, for reminding us that there is a time for everything, time for growing, a time for maybe setting back and waiting on things, and a time for serving. And there is a time that we need to ask Jesus Christ into our heart to become the Lord of all. And I don't know where you guys are, but I just kind of got something during Will's message today that if you need to ask Jesus into your heart or you need to get right with God, please find a pastor or an elder or somebody that you trust that you know could maybe pray with you about that and lead you through that. And so, and that being said, that is what we are about here at Grace is sharing the love of Christ and the message of his grace and his salvation with those that we come in contact with. So if you guys would please stand me right now and join me in our sending. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, neighborhood, workplace, or school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself, Look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. We are the church. Now let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.